All right, my friends, we're back again to another episode. This is going to be episode 178 of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and we're going to continue into this uh, research of Freemason. In the last episode, uh, Freemasonry in the Vatican, we saw how there is a priest, Father Weinecker, an Austrian priest, who was uh, called out as a member, he came out probably willingly on himself, admitting that he's a member of the Freemasons. And um, the church has 200 year history. Eight popes or more have all condemned Freemasonry. The church and Freemasonry are, are enemies. The Freemasons have a, a naturalistic religion, religious indifferentism, uh, they're in a cult. They ask uh, they ask their members to strip down almost naked. They tell you to remove all symbols that's on you. Crucifix, any religious symbols, medals of saints or anything. Your wedding band completely removed. And they would blindfold you. And they would have you simulate your own death and resurrection. Uh they would ask you to kneel and you would take an oath, a death oath. And you, during the ritual, would actually say that you are an individual who's living in darkness and wishes to uh, come out into the light. And then that you, the only the Freemasons can help you find enlightenment and complete interpretation of scripture. They actually, in there's a ritualistic and oath. There's, there's different sides to them, but I think they're all the same. One was where they look at the church as a tyrant, the Catholic Church, and the Pope. And there's an oath for the destruction of the Vatican, destruction of the of the chair of Peter, the Church of Christ. Freemasonry is a cult. Okay. They um their their membership has included Marxists, communists, and they have different branches of uh, of cultism. So they're not, they're not members, they're, they're not friendly to Christians. They're a, they're a society and they were responsible for the French Revolution. They even contributed financially to the, to the uh, revolution in, in, in Russia, to the rise of the Soviet Union. They're not our friends. Okay. Simple as that. Okay. They are the church's mortal, mortal enemy. One day I will read the Alta Vendita to you, hopefully soon. But now we're going to look into this article from LifeSite Nude. It's a blog. It's by Peter uh, Kowinski. Kowinski. Okay, I'm sorry if I butchered your name, sir. Okay. Uh, was the chief architect behind the new mass a Freemason? New evidence emerges. Okay, uh, uh, this is from October 12th, so it's going back a little further. Last week, a major expo appeared containing a pointed revelations about Annabelle Benini worth every Catholic's attention. All right, October 12th, 2020. We're going to just go right into it since this is part two. Last week, a major expo appeared as two... Monahan letters, number 26 and 28, 
at Inside the Vatican and was then republished at the traditionalist blog uh, it takes the form of a lengthy interview conducted by Kevin Sim uh, Simmons with Father Charles Theodore Murr in 1950, author of The Godmother, Mother Puscliana, A Feminine Tour de Force in 2017, and a former secretary to Edward Cardinal Gaganin, who worked at the Vatican in the 1970s during this period. Murr became close friends with Mother Puscliana Lenhart, uh, Lenart, who lived from 1894 to 1983. Eugenio Pacelli, uh, housekeeper for 41 years from his time as papal nuncio in Germany in the 1920s through his papal reign as Pius the, the 12th until his death in 1958. In the interview, Murr discusses a large number of personalities, including Pius XII, John Twenty-Third, Paul VI, and John Paul II, and particularly Anna, Annabelle Bonini, who lived from 1912 to 1982, as well as Vatican II, the liturgical reform, the infiltration of Freemasonry into the Vatican, and Fatima, Father Murr, divulges what he saw or heard from the very people involved, including card, uh, cardinals who discovered the Masonic connections of the high-ranking prelates, of high-ranking prelates. For decades, Annabelle Benini, the secretary of the Concilium for Liturgical Reform and the key figure in its execution, has been suspect or accused of being a Freemason. The matter remained doubtful to such an extent that the eminent French historian Yves Coran, in his judiciary biography of Benini, judged that the rumor was inadequately supported by facts. The situation began to change last May when Kevin Simmons presented credible details courtesy of Father Brian Horson, naming Cardinal Dino Staffa as one who brought Paul VI the smoking gun information on Benini's masonry, which uh, precipitated the latter's sudden, uh, sudden fall from grace. It is therefore of major significance that Father Murr offers more and better evidence that, that independently confirms the same sequence of events. Father Murr met Cardinal Gagan in 1974. Soon, the Cardinal would be assigned by Paul VI to do a papal visitation of the Roman Curia, during which Murr assisted Gagan with documents and other practical matters. Asked what the visitation concerned, Murr replies, "This is very interesting. It's get you see, it's getting very interesting now." Annabelle's, the name Annabelle, actually Benini, Annabelle means a gift of Bell. I've heard this from Dr. Taylor Marshall and others. It's a very unusual name. And this man has had his hand, you're going to see, in everything from the whole liturgical ritual, even papal cult ritual uh, that's associated with the Pope himself. 
and straight through everything in, in, in every every ritual where he stripped it down all the centuries of of ritual and beauty and everything to the the mass that we have today which in many cases has become a three a three ring circus in some parishes where you have liturgical dance and ridiculous ritualism where it does it's hardly even recognizable and shameful the behavior and in many cases the priest like dr taylor marshall described has become sort of like a dj you know he can sort of like you know jive things up a little bit he can choose whatever he wants where before the priest couldn't do whatever he wanted to do he had to follow what was exactly in the book and unfortunately this has affected many people a lot of things the, the he, annabelle benini was responsible for removing the altar straight from the tabernacle separating it from the wall and making it into a free table which never, which would never have happened before, and then you know the 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 whole thing was stripped down, claiming it's supposed to attract Protestants to make to make it Protestant friendly, but it hasn't done that. It hasn't done that at all. It hasn't it hasn't really done that, and it's it's sad. But you got to look at it. I mean, there's a lot there's a lot to look into. So let's continue. All right, so. Uh, Father Mert met Cardinal Gagan, uh, Gagan in 1974. Soon, the Cardinal will be assigned by Paul VI to do a papal visitation of the Roman Curia, during which Mer assisted Gagan with documents and other practical matters. Asked what the visitation concerned, Mer replies. In 1975, toward the end of his pontificate, Pope Paul VI seemed convinced, finally, and thoroughly of what he himself declared in 1972, that the smoke of Satan had entered the church. Some of the most high-ranking members of the College of Cardinals, the Pope's closest advisors, had gone to him personally and leveled some very damning accusations against key members of his own central government, that is, the Roman Curia, very damning accusations, the consequences of which are still with us today. The Pope was so shaken by these accusations that he ordered an in-depth investigation, top to bottom, of the entire Roman Curia. He chose Gagnon for this assignment, and it lasted three full years. Okay. Murr goes on to reveal who the Cardinals were who made these accusations. Cardinals Dino Staffa, Silvio Adi, and Archbishop Giovanni Benelli. Staffa was a very powerful courier official at the time. He was prefect of the Apostolico Signatura, more or less the chief justice of Catholicism's Supreme Court. Silvio Cardinal Adi was another powerhouse. He later became the prefect of the Congregation for the Clergy in 1979. The mention of Cardinal Staffa devotils uh, with personal experience of both Eric de Saventham and Michael Davis, cons uh, consecutive presidents of the International Federation 
of Una Volga. I have no idea what that is. When Simmons reminds Murr that, a, that as reported in The Godmother, Mother Poscliana Lenhart believed Archbishop Annabel Benini to have been a Freemason. Murr f uh, furnishes further details. Bonini stood seriously accused by Staffa, Adi, and Benelli of being a Freemason and carrying out Freemasonic designs against the Church. Bishop Gagnon and Don, um, Don Mario Marini also knew about the matter. For her part, Mother Pasliana, as with most of the older and, and wiser personages I know I knew, was on the Vatican's inside track. She was close to Cardinals Ottaviani, Seri, Spellman, and to Archbishop Fulton Sheen, etc., as well as to many others around the world and in the Roman Curia. Not not until some time after the Second Vatican Council did people start waking up to what Benini was doing and then to what Benini was? Nothing of any consequence was mentioned about Monsignor Benini until the mid 1960s, only after Pius XII's death and John XXIII's, did Benini show his true colors. And when Paul VI made him a bishop in 1972, People knew, or thought they knew, that he was in the Curia to stay. Simmons then asks if Archbishop Benini was somehow involved with Freemasonry, what can we say then about Benini and the conciliar liturgical reforms? To which Murr replies, I think it is better to ask whether the Freemasonic designs had something to do with liturgical reforms that Benini decided the Second Vatican Council desired. Were Benini's reforms concerned with a more perfect adoration and worship of God, with the celebrating the Freemasonic concept of the brotherhood of man, when certain council fathers insisted that not one word of the 1600-year-old Roman canon be touched, by any stretch of the imagination, could that be taken to mean that they wanted to consort entirely new canons? Simmons recounts the story told in the memoirs of the eminent theologian and sometime member of the Concilium, Louis Boyer, 1913-2004, who learned directly from his friend Paul VI that Benini was running interferences between the Pope and the concilium by lying to both sides about what the other wanted and asked Mer point blank. Once Benini's shenanigans were discovered, why wouldn't Paul VI reverse course on the liturgical reforms? Good question. Mer responds, To your question, I can only offer an educated guess. Freemasonic influence were hard at work in the Vatican during those critical post-conciliar years and continue to be. This explanation, however, is insufficient to describe the present malaise within the church because it is not balanced with reali uh, reality of sin and human frailty.
This is interesting. This explanation, however, is insufficient to describe the present malaise, the maladies, the sickness within the church, because it is not balanced with the reality of sin and human frailty. Very interesting. The latter have real consequences for, for the church when it comes to hierarchs. Paul the Sixth liked to put opposite personalities together, such as the Frenchman Jean Cardinal Vallet as his Secretary of State, with Archbishop Benelli as the Sostiato. Uh, uh, I have no idea what that means. I suspect it was because Paul hoped that the path of virtue or via media would mer emerge from subsequent conflicts. In other words, they'll be forced to work together. He tried to speak to everyone and to pacify different factions within the church, most notably the so-called progressives and the conservatives. How successful he was in this endeavor will be debated by historians and theologians. The fact remains, however, that the character of Paul VI demonstrated a weakness of will and this goes to the heart of your question. Archbishop Benelli finally convinced the Holy Father to deal with Benini, Benini's affairs. Benelli had the idea to combine two Vatican congregations, divine worship and rites, into one. The Congregation for Divine Worship and Discipline of the Sacraments, actually in July 1975, the Congregation for the Sacraments and Divine Worship with its present name dating from 1988, Valet arranged for Benini to be named Nuncio to Iran, as well as acted upon Benelli's idea of combining the two liturgical dissectors. Valet, however, continued to defend Benini's reforms. Instead then of dealing with the obvious shadow cast upon Benini's work, Paul VI simply re 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 retreated further into himself, not wanting to be involved any further in the conflict. Not good. Not good at all. To the obvious question of why Benini was not more severely punished once his Freemasonic membership was discovered and revealed to Paul VI, Murr explains, Paul VI was a lifelong career diplomat in the Vatican, where International diplomacy was created along with all the rules. A bishop and member of the Roman Curia is never fired. Evidently, even when that bishop is a Freemason, bishops are off limits. Prior to the defrocking of Theodore McCarrick, this was the fundamental rule of Vatican diplomacy. Moreover, if the Holy Father has ex had excommunicated or even fired Benini, that would raise questions with Benini's work. Paul VI was unwilling to do this. Not good. This is actually very terrible. So the Pope, Paul VI, was, was he was stuck in the rock in a hard place, a, a very humiliating thing. The fact that he assigned a man to work on the, the liturgy, the reforms of the liturgy, and who controlled everything. You're going to find out that he, he was in his hand was in everything. And therefore the fact that he got exposed, that he was a member of the Freemasons. Think about it. Look out the fact how this Pope, uh, 
had to take action. And notice how Pope Francis's attitude towards this particular uh, priest who came out as a Freemason and now walks around freely. This this shows you the how 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 bad things have gotten. Now the fact that he decided instead of firing him, demoting him, removing his call, removing his position, removing his priesthood, he then promotes him and sends him as an ambassador to Tehran to Iran. Very very strange. I guess maybe because he was afraid that if he did do all that, this would put this would weaken and and disrupt his papacy because people would question all the reforms. <sighs> Very bad approach, I think. All right. In, okay. Instead, explains Murr, Paul VI followed the classic approach. All right. Edge promivotor et ami ama vonteur. Let him be promoted so that he may be removed from the situation. So he gave him a promotion and send him off to the other side of the planet. So, you know, it's sort of like a subtle a subtle kick uh, kick in the pants. The merger of those two congregations was the answer. It was announced in 1975, along with Benini's promotion, as Vatican Nuncio to Iran, Iran, a Muslim theocracy with 18,000 tolerated Roman Catholics, I guess Paul VI concluded that Benini could do the least amount of harm under those rather stringent conditions. It should be noted that at first Benini was assigned to a post of Nuncio to Uruguay. When he protested that he knew no Spanish, Iran was decided on, uh, decided on instead, where the diplomatic language was French, which he knew. So, Karen's biography, um, see Karen's biography, biography written by this author, pages 167 to 177. Simmons continued, Archbishop Benini denied to his dying breath that he was a Freemason. If he was a Freemason, why do you think that he would strictly lie about it? Whereupon Murr says, if that's the question, the answer is simple, because he was a Freemason. When asked if he, if he has anything more to, to add about Benini, Murr disclosed unknown details. Yes, it was Benelli and Marani, not Gagan, who played major role in Benini's promotion to Apostolic Nuncio to Tehran. Too many prelates and church officials, very much including um, Regalio No, who had the Pope's ear daily and who stood next in line for Benini's position, should ever should ever there ever be an, an opening, um, explained. Uh, unashamedly about Benini to Paul the sixth the Pope was pressured into taking action and sending Benini into exile and took much of the blame for many liturgical anomalies of himself also there was some sort of last straw when thousands of newly printed Roman missiles had to be recalled and destroyed due to Benini's additions, some unauthorized. This happened during Christmas vacation while his supporters were away on vacation in 1975 to 1976. Clearly, this interview opens up many new lines for research. For example, Murr notes that Sapastiano, Cardinal Baggio, was certainly a Freemason, 
and Bagia played an, un, uh, an important role in the selection of bishops for the worldwide church from 1973 to 1984, according to Merck. Cardinal Staffa and Adi possessed a dossier of cooperating evidence on Baggio, which they shared with Paul VI. Gagan, Mario Marini, and Benelli also knew of it. And at the end of the interview, Murr mentioned that he is currently writing a book on Baggio based upon conversation which I was privy with. Gagan, Mareni, and Benelli, if the book turns out to be nearly as interesting as The Godmother, it will be worth the wait. Some people have already objected to, to the Murr interview as giving us nothing better than rumors and have said that unless we have direct documentary evidence, we cannot make historical assertions. This, however, is a rule that no professional historian actually operates by. Historical uh, creditude is achieved not only by means of primary documents, which are the most valuable resources, but also by consistent um, mosaic of reports from figures involved in events. Reasonable assumptions are often need to be made to make sense out of a situation. For example, all history books include statements of this form. Madame so-and-so was the mistress of King so-and-so, but were they ever observed in flagrant behavior? No. It's just that everyone knew it. Perhaps... That they, on, that they only ever read novels to each other or played chess or recited mat matins. Nevertheless, there are reasonable assumptions that can be made on the basis of human nature and the signs we know how to interpret. Similarly, when it came to these new claims about Benini and the figures that surrounded him and Paul VI were, were capable of putting two and two together, the quality of the sources is sufficient to engender confidence and internal coherence of the information with what is already known as undeniable. I understand what he's saying here. You know, history talks about kings having relationships with certain women. And just because you don't see them in that behavior doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't something going on. You have to read the signs around you. You have to read what's going on. You have to read the behavior, the fact that there uh, certain things at certain times and certain places, certain actions, vacations that were taken, uh, eyewitness accounts by other people, um, gifts that were given, what kind of gift that was given, what kind of what kind of um, uh, uh, gifts were exchanged. Uh, who you know? Who was removed? Uh, positions, promotions, things like that. I understand exactly what he's saying there, and it's silly not to use these these uh, these signs to read them. I mean, you know, you don't need a photograph. You don't need a, someone to draw you a picture. That's not going to be it. Um, okay, it is thus fair to say there is no longer reasonable doubt 
the, the single most dominant figure in the liturgical reform was indeed a Freemason. This may also explain, at least in part, why Benini's private papers are kept under lock and key, inaccessible to any scholars, although perhaps it is too much to believe that incriminatingly materials have not already been destroyed by now. Some Catholics may find themselves asking why in 2020 is this topic even important anymore. The year 1962, when the council opened up, or 1975, when Benini fell from grace, that's a long time ago, and so much water has flowed under the bridge. The revised liturgical rites were approved by Paul VI and are used almost everywhere. Shouldn't we just focus on focus our energy on today and how we can celebrate them better and let the dead bury the dead. Such a way of thinking greatly underestimates the gravity of what Father Murr's interviews reveal. Let us step back and consider the magnitude of the revelation. Uh, I like that. That's good. All right. Annabelle Benini was one of the few constant players in liturgical reform at the Vatican for over a long period of time, from 1948 to 1975. He held successively more important positions until he was appointed principal secretary of the, pro, uh, of the preconciliar committee that drafted the Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy, Sacrosanctum Concilium for Vatican II, which capacity he craftily advised his associates to take it to take refuge in vagueness and pre uh, preser, uh, and, and procedural mechanisms, so that the Council Father would not block their daring plans. Okay, Paul the Sixth, who shared his liturgical vision, almost entirely appointed him the principal secretary of the body entrusted with the implementing this constitution. In that capacity, he was unquestionably the ar architect or perhaps better, the general contractor of the liturgical reforms in all his dimensions. The mass, the sacraments, the papal rites, the divine office, the calendar. He largely controlled the committee membership that uh, worked on the various tasks. He scheduled and ran the concilium meetings, distributed the minutes, put the the right people in contact with, with each other, offered private counsel and guidance, and most influentially regulated the flow of, of information between the Pope and the concilium. What the Pope knew about the concilium's intentions he heard largely from um, from Benini. What the Concilium heard about the Pope's wishes, they heard largely from Benini. Practically nothing that happened in a liturgical reform did not first pass through his mind and his mouth to be impr uh, imprinted with his attitudes and agendas. During his exile in Iran, he wrote nearly 1,000-page book, The Reform of the Liturgy, 1948 to 1975, in which he explained step by step how thousands of changes were made 
to Catholic worship and express expresses his agreements with these changes. How's that? I think that's a lot there. The man's hand, the, the his, his finger to his fingerprints are everywhere. Amazing. All right, this is the last paragraph here. It appears ever more certain that this man was a Freemason and that what pleased him about the reform is analogous to what pleases the Freemasons today about almost everything Pope Francis says and does. It is or should be it should be no news that Freemasonry and Catholicism are implacable enemies with diametrically opposed creeds and cults. If this is not reason enough, then to be skeptical about the liturgical reforms that is played out, to distance oneself from it as much as possible, and to return wholeheartedly to the enduring tradition that was scorned and suppressed by the revolutionaries. I am not sure what could ever make difference. What we need to find out that ben, what, 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 what do we need to find out? That Benini was a child molester? A Satanist? For certain ultramontanists, conservatives, nothing, it seems, can displace the blinders they have chosen to fasten to their heads. But if for Catholics who are prop, prompted by the Holy Spirit to seek out reverent, authentic worship in keeping with our centuries-old inheritance of faith— the traditional Roman liturgy is still present and always will be present in the in, in the church, in the midst of the church where our Lord will sustain its integrity until his coming in glory. You know, they're right. They're right about that. And I have to say, I've noticed, I've noticed um it's 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 a that these problems when I came in years ago. 22 years ago, when I came into the Catholic Church, I've noticed a lot of like a church that had difficulty fighting itself. I've noticed how the mass from parish to parish is never the same. The music is is not uplifting. There's, you know, I you know, I you look at EWTN. They try very hard to 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 celebrate the Nova Soto Mass with authentic you know, uh, spirit with, with a lot of tradition. They try very hard. They use some Latin, you know, I mean, the parish I go to, the Pasilga I go to, we only say the, 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 our father in, uh, in Latin and they play some music in Latin, the, 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 the choir, the choir tries the best it can, but a lot of times it's too Protestant and a lot of, and, and still like, you know, the priests, you know, there's a lot. I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful basilica. It should be celebrating the Latin Mass. It should be celebrating the Trinity. I mean, the Trinitine Mass. It should be. Um, I want to look at something here. This is from 1 Peter 5. The part here is a link. Uh, pleases the Freemasons today. And Steve Kojic from 1 Peter 5, he can be a little, you know, has a little dry sense of humor and, and, and sarcasm. But let's look at it. Pope's new encyclical follow, follows spirit of Blatato C. It recycles the same old theme. St uh, Steve Skojek, October fifth, twenty twenty. We've entered one of the most mo one of those moments again where there is a flurry of activity in the church and hardly enough time to analyze it in depth. 
To top it off, I'm feeling like I'm coming down with something and running on far too little sleep. So rather than trying to coax my brain into something fully coherent, I'll be writing a couple of short pieces today on the biggest bits of news to get you up to up to speed. The first story and one dominating the atten attention in the cat catastrophic uh, catastrophe today is the Pope's latest encyclical, Fratelli Tutti, or as people on Twitter call it now, Fruity Tutti. I'll have another piece coming out later on the uh, on Cardinal Bacchio. That's uh, the cardinal who's abused funds. As with everything Francis writes. It's party-sized portion of word salad weighing in 43,000 words, not much less than the average novel. And there's not much in that is also novel. See what I did there? For those who have the stomach at the and the patience to go through it, I, ha I have neither. Fortunately, there are some stalwart souls who are even now poring over the, ma the, the mass theological chaff looking for usual agendas, pieces buried within. And surprise, surprise, they're very familiar. The signs of the times. Francis said yesterday in introducing the text clearly show that human fraternity and the care of creation form the only path towards integral development and peace. Already in, uh, indicated by the saintly Pope John Paul XXIII, Paul VI, and John Paul II. But as usual, it's post-concilium church the only papacies that that exist are the ones that come in the um exist in the past half century the church before is killed and buried that is he's talking about before the reforms and why is it that every time i hear him talk about human fraternity all i can think of is just how in love with him the freemasons are they are the word fraternity shows up 55 times in the text and in fact, there is an actual section heading right before the paragraph 103 that reads liberty, equality, and fraternity. There you go. Those are free Masonic terms. I'm not making that up. He's literally using Messianic motto of the anti-Catholic French Revolution in his encyclical. In paragraph 119 following, under the subheading, uh, re-envisioning the social role of property, the Pope's love for socialistic re redistribution takes him at private into at a private property. Francis claims in a footnote quote that the Christian tradition has never recognized the right to private property. That's not true, absolutely not true. All right, and another one. When one looks at the footnote, one sees the Pope here has quote himself. The Pope, the Pope quotes himself a lot in encyclical. He goes on, the principle of the common use of created goods is the first principle of the whole ethical and social order. It is natural and inherent right that takes priority over others. As one state commentator observed in this, Francis appears to be directly contradicting his predecessor, Leo XIII. All right. You can see what I'm saying here. There's a lot in this. There's a lot going on here that Pope Francis is contradicting himself and he contradicts Catholic teaching in his encyclical. He doesn't appear to be that he lives much in the life of the church or studies the works of his predecessors. He doesn't. It is clear that the main tenet, this is from Pope 
uh, I think Pope Leo thirteenth. Uh, it is clear that the main tenet of socialism, community of goods, must be utterly rejected, since it is only injures those whom it would seem meant to benefit, it is directly contrary to the natural rights of mankind, and it would introduce confusion and disorder into the commonwealth. The first and most fundamental principles, therefore, if one would undertake to alleviate the condition of the masses, must be the availability of private property, the right of private property. I'll pause for a moment while you overcome the shock you must no doubt be feeling. This is Steve Skojek. Make Francis making a mess of Catholic teaching, whoever could have predicted. I can see he's getting sick and tired of this Pope. I just started fast scrolling back up through the document to figure out what else it, to discuss and found myself losing the will to live. So I'll confine myself to a couple of more silent bits and move on. In paragraph 172, it begins with whispering sweet nothings to the idea of word, the world government, one that is equipped with the power to provide for the global common good. In paragraph 173, he professes his undying love for the United Nations, which he fears is under the threat of being delegitimized. Delegitimize the United Nations, perish the thought. In paragraph 263 to 270, 263 to 270, he pimps once again his most favorite ever heresy, that the death penalty is indismissible a term which has no theological merit, but which he implies through the inherent language of logic, a belief that capital punishment is what Catholic philosophers call an exceptionalist moral norm. In other words, an intrinsic evil. <laughs> oh boy. I'll move on a little bit further. In paragraph 267, Francis argues, quoting himself again, oh wow, that it's impossible to imagine that states today have no other means than capital punishment to pro to protect the lives of other people from unjust aggressors. And yet, even the most coarser applications of human reason indicates as much as the Pope is not omniscient, he is unable to determine every situation in every nation, state, throughout the world from now on, from now until the end of time, some conditions will always exist, at least hypothetically, we, where, it, where to use with, according to the principles always respect by the church, be morally justified. Yes, even the modern world. He goes on in paragraph 268 to repeat that other aspects of his personal madness on this issue, that life in imprisonment is also wrong. A life sentence, he says, is is a secret death penalty. That, that doesn't make any sense. Oh, boy. Contrast with the Pope Pius XII, who said, even in a case of death penalty, the state does not dispose of the individual's right to life. Rather, public authority limits itself to depriving the offender of the good of life in, ex uh, in expiation for his guilt. After he through his crime, deprived himself of his own right to life. Pope Pius XII addresses the first international congress 
All right, this was back in 1952. All right, September 14, 1952. Capital punishment isn't a question of human dignity. It is a question of justice. Human dignity cannot be taken away, even upon execution. Just ask our Lord. I'm pretty sure he remained full. Uh, he, he remained fully intact. That's true. It goes on. I mean, it goes to show you that Pope Francis here. All right, here's here's something here. Okay, did I mention the Freemasons? This is a little bit close to the end. The Freemasons love Francis. I did. Did I think did did I link in the thing where we saw how they thanked him for his Christmas address last year? I did. Did I quite I, I didn't look at that article, but let's look at this. All the mates of the world unite themselves to the petition of Pope to the of, of the Pope for fraternity between the persons of diverse religions. The message which Spanish Masons have sent to Francis is truly full of enthusiasm and gratitude. All the Masons of the world unite themselves to the request of the Pope for fraternity between persons of diverse religions. Liberty, equality, fraternity. I can't force myself to read any more, so I'm going to stop here where we'll no doubt be plagued with discussions about this latest stink bomb from the mouth to come. No need to dwell on it unduly. Okay, so you can see that Pope Francis obviously has a soft spot for Freemasons, this particular Pope. And um, he's also disrupting the church. Um, a lot of people uh, don't like him. They 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 cannot connect with him. He's dis he's disconnected spiritually with Catholics. You know he's contradicting Catholic teaching. There are Catholics out there that know their faith very well, but he seems, I think, like Pope v uh, like Archbishop Vigano. Excuse me, Archbishop Vigano said that this encyclical comes from. The, uh, the heart of a blind man, empty or devoid of faith. Simple as that. Um, it's sad, and I have to say, we're going to have to see what happens. I mean, you know, the drama is continuing. This 2020 is still going on, and the election is only a few days away. And when it comes, um, it it will be interesting to see how all the big, major players are going to uh, realign themselves on the chessboard. It'll be interesting to see what happens next. I'm going to end it here. So God bless and uh, I'll be back again soon.